Hey friends, it's Weston, and I wanted to take just a second to thank you for listening to the Bowling Green Christian Church Sermon Podcast. If someone recommended this message to you, I hope that it encourages you. If you're here getting caught up on a week you missed, I hope that it challenges you. And if you're a visitor checking us out, I hope that it helps you connect with Jesus and his church. Whoever you are, whenever you're ready to take your next step closer to Jesus or to connect with a BGCC family, know that we're here for you. You can learn more about how to connect with us by downloading our app when you text BGCC app to 77977. There in the app, you can submit prayer requests, find out about upcoming events, and even give to help support our ministry, including this podcast. It's my prayer that God uses this message to encourage and equip you to take your next best step in life, which is always one step closer to Jesus. When we think about salvation, I think we often think about the future. You know, we think about this idea that I am giving my life to Jesus so that at some point in the future, you know, I'll, I'll be able to go to heaven. You know, I'm, I've given my life to Christ right now so that way at some point in time later, I will be able to experience, you know, true grace and forgiveness and healing. I can't experience it now, but at some point in time, I hope to be able to experience that in the future. And so, so much of our faith is sort of forward thinking in that, you know, we don't, we, you know, we don't get to experience those blessings right here, right now. I, I think really nothing could be further from the idea of, of New Testament understanding of Christianity. I, I want to introduce you to this concept. It's, it's been used by different people to mean different things, but, but this idea of the eternal now. Uh, I love Richard Rohr. He's written several different things. He's a, a Franciscan, um, and, and he, he talks about this idea here. Uh, let me just read this from him. It says, Jesus' primary metaphor for the eternal now are the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And he's not talking about a far-off celestial heaven. Uh, Here's what he says in John 4. He says, look around you. Look at the fields. Already they are ready for harvest. Already the reaper is being paid his wages. Already he is bringing in the grain for eternal life. And thus sower and reaper rejoice together. Notice Jesus says already three times. What he's trying to do is tell us that there's a way we can live connected to the real and to the eternal in this world, in this moment. And that path is surrendering to the here and now, to whatever it offers us. So we need to be sure to be here and now and not somewhere else, because if our minds and hearts are elsewhere, nothing really happens to us that matters or lasts. This idea of an eternal now, if I had to sort of phrase this together and communicate it in a way that I think you could take with you, it's that in Christ, when, when we receive Jesus Christ, the, the Holy Spirit connects us to God, and God is eternal. And so inside of us, inside of our very souls, we are connected to the God who created the universe with love and order and care. We're connected to Christ who, who died on the cross to bring us forgiveness for our sins. And in this moment, not only are we connected to that moment of the past, but we're also connected to the future. We're connected to the time when Jesus Christ comes back and lives and reigns uh, again here on a new heaven in a new earth. That's where we're connected. And in this moment, we have the capacity that, that we can draw from the grace of the past and the certainty of the future in God. And we know that in this moment, we're able to touch and to shape eternity. That when we are connected with the Holy Spirit, that in this moment we have access to to the greatness of God's past 
into the greatness of the future of God, and that in this moment, all of that's available to us. I, I think this is what Paul is trying to get at in Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. He says this, he says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Notice it doesn't say that at some point in time we will live a new life. It says that we have died and that we've been buried with Christ and that in this moment we may, in other words, it is a possibility, it is an option that is available to us right now that we can live a new life with God in this moment. You see, when we live in Christ, our heavenly lives start right now. And that has incredible ramification for how we live with others, how we treat other people, how we order our life and the things that we value. It's interesting that the verses right before uh, these that we just looked at, Paul talks a little bit about what it means for us to have been set free in this moment. Uh, Romans 6, 2 says this, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Paul is letting us know that through Christ, we are connected to the cross, and that our sin has been crucified, that, that on the cross, Jesus took it away past tense, and that now we live in this moment of freedom, and that anybody today who has been baptized into Christ and has accepted that amazing gift of life and grace can walk in that newness of life. They've been set free to live a new and heavenly life. And so we don't have to submit ourselves any longer to the tyranny of sin. We don't have to cower under the fear of death. We don't have to be held in bondage to the law because we have been set free in Jesus. You see, our renewed life starts together right now. And so the good news is you don't have to wait until heaven to enjoy that. You don't have to wait to heaven to enjoy the peace that comes from God. You don't have to, to wait uh, for heaven to be set free from the fear of death. You don't have to wait for heaven to be set free from the tyranny of legalism. You could do that right now if you would choose. If you're in Jesus Christ and you're saying, man, I'm, I'm being held back by sin. If I'm in Jesus Christ. I'm being held back by my fear. I'm in Jesus Christ. I'm being held back by this tyranny of this religion or whatever that you're, you're holding on to. Let me tell you, that's not what Christ came to give you. He came to give you freedom in this moment, this eternal now, right now. And it's this freedom, particularly from the fear of death, that has marked Christians throughout the centuries. If you go back to AD 165, if you go way, way back then to the very early years of Christianity, sort of, of going through the Roman Empire, you will see that there was a plague that just swept through all of Rome. Uh, we're, we're not sure what that plague was. You know, there's historians who look at it and they say, well, this was, this was like Ebola. It was, you know, ancient Ebola, Ebola 1.0. Uh, or, it, you know, it was maybe uh, the first occurrence of Black Death, you know, the, the smallpox that, you know, virus. Maybe that's what happened. I'm sorry, this is a bacteria. I'm, you know, maybe that's what happened. You know, maybe it's a smallpox, maybe it's Ebola. We're not sure what it was. But whatever it was, it was deadly and it was terrifying. It was sweeping through these crowded slums in the cities, and, and uh, as a matter of fact, it was so terrifying that the leading physician, so the Dr. Fauci of the ancient Roman Empire, he leaves Rome to go to his country estate 
And he stays there until the plague is over because he's, he's too terrified with it and he doesn't know what to do with it and there's no healing to be found. And so the doctor leaves town. That's how terrified everybody is. And so if you got this disease, as soon as you got this disease, here's what they would do. They would take you and they would put you in the street. They would just push you out of your house. Your own family would put you out of your house. Your friends would put you out. You know, they would put you out because they didn't want to get it from you. And because it was so terrifying, if you cared for your family and you loved your friends, you wouldn't try to get back in the house. You would just go out into the street to die. That was the game plan back then. There was no masks, no wash your hands, none of that. Just get it, go out and die, and just leave the rest of us alone. That was the strategy. And here's the funny thing, or maybe the spectacular thing, or maybe the miraculous thing is that when you look at this whole thing, everybody's afraid. Everybody is leaving the cities except for the church. Christians start coming back to the city. Christians don't leave. And it says that Christians started gathering up all the sick people, and they would take them to some place, and they would feed them, they would give them water, and they'd make them comfortable. And people who've looked at this disease and looked at other diseases and historians, again, you know, trying to guess as best they can, they believe that these Christians improved the rate of survival. Like you had a 66% survival rate increase if you fell under their care. And so the church grew and it survived and it thrived because they were caring for each other. And not only were they caring for each other, but, but they started to reach out in love and compassion to care for those in the city as well that they didn't know. And, and when people would ask them, well, how in the world are you coming here? Why are you, my family's put me out of the house. Why are you bringing me into your house? Why are you bringing me here? It's what's well, because we love you. Aren't you scared? Well, no, we're not, we're not really scared. Because we know where we are in this moment. We're with Jesus Christ, and we'll be with Jesus Christ now, and we'll be with Jesus Christ in the future. Whether we live or die, we're going to be with Jesus Christ. So we're not afraid. We're not afraid. And it was this hallmark of, of fearlessness, of love, of courage that marked Christianity. You see, these ancient Christians knew that our, our renewed life, that it starts together right now. Christians, they're celebrated for their faith, for their courage, for their love. In the second century, during the middle of a pandemic, I, I read that and it made me wonder, how are we going to be remembered today? How will historians view the church in the year 2020 when they look back on it? Will they say that the church was courageous and loving? Or will they say they were sort of a non-entity? They just checked out. I don't know the answer to that, but it made me think. It made me wonder. You see, these ancient Christians, they'd embraced the eternal now. They knew that if they died, they would only complete the resurrection process. You see, that we can choose fear, you know, we can choose love instead of fear, or we can choose fear instead of love. We can choose righteousness over sin. We can choose sin over righteousness. We can choose freedom over bondage. It's really our choice. You see, our minds have been renewed, but our bodies have not. Paul gets at this again in Romans chapter 6. He says, if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will also certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. You see, our bodies are really the only thing that hasn't experienced that full resurrection. Corinthians will talk about this too, that it's a seed that will have to be planted. But the interior of it, the soul, the mind, the heart, that's all been renewed in Jesus Christ. 
It's the body with its desires, with its urges and, and, and cravings. That's the part that hasn't been fully resurrected yet. But one day it will be. So in the meantime, we do face a struggle. And, and you know, we, we wrestle with living with this redeemed soul, renewed mind, renewed heart in a decaying body. But our renewed life, don't, don't get me wrong, it starts right now together. And when we unite with Christ's body together, we participate in heaven's citizenship. Like right now, look around, friends. This is what heaven's going to look like. I know, for some of you, you're looking around, you're like, I don't know about these people. Well, you better, you better get to know these people. You better learn to love these people. You're going to be spending a lot of time with these people. You see, the body of believers, the body of Christ, it's revealed so clearly today, not maybe when we sit together in a room, although that happens. It's when we love together. It, it, I've seen some amazing pictures of the body of Christ in this time and in this moment. Just, I think it was two Saturdays ago, our church, we had Meals, Inc., and we were going to deliver the meals like we normally do. Well, I had been meaning to sign up all week and, and just hadn't got to, to signing. I texted my wife and said, you know, hey, Jenny, you know, I, I, I don't think we had anything going on Saturday. No, we didn't. So, you know, I was getting ready to get in. I just never got to it until Friday night. It's going to be Saturday morning. I was like, well, I'll log in and see if it's, if it's been filled yet. And I realized that Craig... Uh, DeGroote, who manages that uh, for us, that he had taken like four or five routes himself, and I was like, oh man, I don't want Craig to, to drive over all these routes. I'll, I'll be glad to take one. And so I sent Craig a text that night and said, hey, Craig, um, you know, if you're taking four routes or, you know, whatever, I'd be glad to take a route. And, and uh, so just text me back, let me know if those routes are available, or maybe you took them because somebody else has them, just let me know. And Craig sent me a text back later, and he said, no, he said, we've got it all covered. He said, you know, our church, we weren't able to, to fill that, which is unusual. We normally have no trouble with that. Uh, he said, but there were some volunteers from St. Joe's who they're the kind of regulars. They're going to come and they're going to help us fill, um, you know, all of the delivery routes that we've got. And so the church was able to come together and to provide for the poor in our community who struggle with basic nutritional supplement. You know, we were able to help them because the body of Christ came together. They're living out love. It, these servants of Jesus, as they take these meals and, and knock on doors and, and drop them off, they're living out this verse in 1 John chapter 4, where John writes this. He says, perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love drives out fear. You know, I know that in this passage, if you look it up in context, that Jesus it, John is talking about this, this fear of Jesus or this love of Jesus, that if you have a fear of judgment, that you're not really doing these things for you know, love, you're just doing it so you don't get punished. Uh, but if you're doing it out of love, he says you're not worried about judgment anymore. You're set free from the fear of judgment. Now that's in context, but I'll tell you the principle of that is much broader. I mean, it's love that, that causes a mother to run back into a burning house to save her child right? I mean, why else do you do that? It's for love. You, you run back in there for love, and you save that child. It, it, it's love that, that, that causes that father to, to swim out into the ocean after his son because he got a little too far out, and he may end up drown the father, but he's going to do everything he can to save his son. Why? It's for love. When you're motivated and driven by love, you're not afraid anymore. You, you look at who you love and what you love, and you say, man, that is absolutely what I have to do. And the fear, it goes away. 
That's why these early Christians ran back into a city filled with plague. It's because they had love for humanity, because God had love for humanity. As God had loved them, they were going to love other people. And they knew that our renewed life, that it starts together, it starts right now. We don't have to wait for it. Jesus said this is how we would be distinguished, as a matter of fact. John chapter 13, 34 and following, it says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. By this, everyone you will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus said when the world looks at the church, the, the, the world is going to know the church by the way that the church loves each other and the way that the church loves the world. Jesus gives this as a command. Now, there's some talk about you know the gold golden rule, the silver rule. Um, Andy Stanley talks about this being the platinum rule. I think this makes a lot of sense. The golden rule says, you know, you're going to love others as you love yourself. You're going to treat others the way you want to be treated. But the platinum rule says this, it doesn't matter how much you love yourself. What matters is how much does God love you? And you're going to turn around and love everybody else that you meet based on the love that God has for you. Now, let me tell you, because I think as you hear this verse, you go, man, that's, that's hard to do, if not impossible. I, I think the answer is yes, it, it is. But, but in this command, there's an inherent promise. I have this very simplistic belief that God does not command us to do anything we're not capable of doing. I, I, I have this firm belief that, that God will not call us to do something if we're not capable of doing something. He's not going to call us to do something that we can't do just to frustrate us. And so inherent in this verse, in this command, is the promise that we will have the capacity to love like Christ. That, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, in this eternal now, that we will tap into the infinite love of God, and that we are capable of loving the people around us as Christ loved us. That's the inherent promise in this command. Jesus is here promising the capacity to love like him, completely, without fear, united together. Now, again, as I've thought about this, and I've thought about the ancient church, I, I, it's made me curious. You know, this pandemic in the ancient time revealed great courage and love and faithfulness. I wonder, what does this one reveal about us? What does it reveal about Christianity and our love today? What does it reveal about the American church and our love today? What does it reveal about the church in Bowling Green and our love today? What does it reveal about Bowling Green Christian Church and our love today? What does this reveal about your faith and your love today? What does it reveal? Just think about that for a second. Now, I'm asking because I'm curious. I'm on Facebook like the rest of you. I live in the community. I see, you know, Christians at Lowe's. I'm on vacation in Florida through Facebook. And yet these people, they're brave enough to travel, shop with or without a mask, depending on your persuasion. But when it comes time to gather together as a church or serve, they're still too afraid to do that. I'm wondering, what does that reveal about us? What does that reveal about me? What does it reveal about you? I guess I'm asking because if we don't have the courage to simply gather together, will we have the courage to serve like our ancient forefathers and foremothers in the faith? Are we going to stand out in history as people who courageously loved? Or are we going to stand out as those who were too afraid to continue? Which is it? 
I'm just asking the question. Now, before you hit send on the hate email or the, the text or you drop that letter in the post office box and you say, well, I'm going to tell you what I really think about that, let me, let me admit, I get that this is a nuanced conversation. I get that there are, are details that, that have to be considered in all of this. I really, really understand that. I live in the real world. I have family with health concerns. I, I get that. I get the nuance. I get the subtlety of this. I know that for some, you have health situations that really should keep you from mixing with the general public and that you don't serve anybody by taking up some space in a hospital sick. I, I totally get that. I get that by being separate, we are serving by not spreading disease. I, I totally get that too. But I also know that some of you, you're brave enough, maybe that's the right word, to complain about wearing masks on Facebook but you'll put up with it to go to the restaurant, but you won't put up with it to come to the church. Now, again, I'm just asking the question. And I don't know the answer. And I don't know your answer. Only you can know that. What does this reveal about your faith? What does this reveal about your love for Jesus? Only you can answer that question. I can't answer it for you. But the reason I'm asking the question as I've talked to so many believers, I can tell we've not even asked the question for ourselves. We've not even considered it. We've not even thought about, well, what does this reveal about my faith? What does this reveal about my love? We just sort of got into autopilot and moved through and just said, well, I'm going to do whatever. I don't think that's acceptable. I think each of us has to wrestle with that and say, this is where my faith is leading me. This is where the love of God is compelling me to go in this moment. Let's wrestle with that. Let's wrestle with what it means to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ in this uncertain time. As Christians, it's so important that we remain united together, whether that's virtually, whether that's in person. And that's why we're retooling a lot of stuff this fall to make sure we stay connected. And, and so for some of you, we're getting ready to launch community groups. I'm going to tell you, there's three ways we're doing community groups this, this year. Uh, this fall some of our groups are going to be the normal groups the normal size groups they're going to meet together here in a larger room so that way there's plenty of room for social distancing but it's going to be the same size group they're going to meet together uh, we picked up on the fact that some of you were quarantining with other families you know earlier in the year and that you were comfortable maybe as a host having one or two families in your house but not like five or six families in your house we get that and so we're going to have this option we're calling the triad option. If you've got one or two families that you're sort of quarantining with and you're saying, well, we're going to still get together, we're still going to meet, uh, we'll resource you with the same material we're sending everybody else. So that's another option. And we are going to do a virtual group. Uh, you know, we did those surveys. We sent those out. Uh, we really paid attention to it. And here's what we learned. We learned that everybody hates Zoom. Everybody hates Zoom. Nobody likes it. So uh, for the few of you that are in the minority, you still like Zoom, You're, you are very much in the minority, but we think there's enough of you that we can put together in the iHeart Zoom group, and we're going to put you all together in a remote group meeting, and we're excited for you. Uh, but those are going to be the three ways that we're going to do community groups, and I don't know which one's the right one for you. Maybe you're going to have to decide, well, I'm going to tolerate Zoom so that we can still stay connected. That's awesome. But I would encourage you to sign up for that. You can do that in the app. Uh, here today. But we've got to come together because when we do, we give a greater picture of, of God's goodness and love and glory than we could do alone. 
Uh, Colossians 3.11 says this, and says, in that renewal, that's the renewal we're living in, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised. There's no longer barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. I love this verse. It reminds us that the diversity and the beauty of God, our creator, is revealed when his people come together. And that's what we want to do, be a people that comes together in Christ because our renewed life starts together right now. And one of the great things we've got, and we're going to do this here in a second, is when we participate in communion, we get a preview of heaven. One of the continual uh, pictures throughout the New Testament, uh, when it talks about heaven, it talks about it being a feast, a time of people coming together. You've got this wedding banquet pictured frequently in Jesus' parables. You have a wedding banquet pictured in the book of Revelation. Is everybody coming together for this wedding banquet? And you have this idea that, that when the church comes together in the end time, it's going to be this great big celebration of victory in Jesus Christ. And it's communion, the act of communion that reminds us that our renewed life starts together right now. Some people want to know, why do you do communion every week? Well, it's because it's a reminder of what we're looking forward to. Jesus instituted communion on that night that he was betrayed by Judas. He's going to go to the cross in 24 hours. And Jesus got the disciples together. In his very last act, he said, listen, I really want you to remember me. And I want you to remember me in a way that you can, you can hold on to it, the way that you can, the way you can taste it and touch it and, and, and really participate in it. And so I'm going to give you this bread, and I want you to remember that this is my body. I'm going to give you this cup, and I want it to be like it's my blood, so that way you never forget what I've done for you. You never forget my love. Luke 22, 16, Jesus says this. He says, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. This is his last meal that he's going to share with the disciples. He says, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And it's here that Jesus then passes around those elements of, of the bread and the wine. You see, what Jesus is saying is that in this moment of communion, we are connected to the eternal now. That, that Jesus, you know, being timeless, you know, he's, you know, past, present, future, all those things. You know, in this moment when we participate in it, Jesus says, I'm not going to participate in this until we get together. And so it is an act of anticipation where we hold on to the gift of the cross and we look forward to the promise of heaven with him right here in this eternal now and when we partake of these things we're being united in that eternal now in jesus christ with each other you see the body of christ was given so that we would become one body of christ the blood of christ was poured out so that we we would be the forgiven body of christ paul tells us this act of proclamation is pretty powerful first corinthians eleven twenty six. He says, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul said, until Jesus comes back, we're going to continue to do this. Jesus said, I'm not going to do it until I'm with you. And Paul says, but we're going to keep doing it until we get together in heaven. And it proclaims to a fearful world, to a world that needs hope and love, that Jesus Christ has come. He's come for us right here. And so as the worship team comes out, I want to give you just a second to prepare your hearts and minds. We're going to take communion together here. And maybe for you, it's a time for you to have a little bit of an act of examination, as we've talked about, where you're able to ask, say, Lord, what, all this stuff that's gone on, what does it say about my faith? Is it real? How real is it? 
God, how do other people, how are they looking at me? Does, does your love shine through me? Take a minute to ask those questions. We'll hold some silence, and then I'll come back and lead us together in taking communion.
promise of heaven with him right here in this eternal now. And when we partake of these things, we're being united in that eternal now, in Jesus Christ, with each other. You see, the body of Christ was given so that we would become one body of Christ. The blood of Christ was poured out so that we, we would be the forgiven body of Christ. Paul tells us this act of proclamation is pretty powerful. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, he says, Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul said, until Jesus comes back, we're going to continue to do this. Jesus said, I'm not going to do it until I'm with you. And Paul says, but we're going to keep doing it until we get together in heaven. And it proclaims to a fearful world, to a world that needs hope and love, that Jesus Christ has come. He's come for us right here. And so as the worship team comes out, I want to give you just a second to prepare your hearts and minds. We're going to take communion together here. And maybe for you, it's a time for you to have a little bit of an act of examination, as we've talked about, where you're able to ask, say, Lord, what, all this stuff that's gone on, what does it say about my faith? Is it real? How real is it? God, how do other people, how are they looking at me? Does, does your love shine through me? Take a minute to ask those questions. We'll hold some silence, and then I'll come back and lead us together in taking communion.